Everybody doing good, Hope City? It's good to see you. And uh, I'm excited that, uh, that you would spend your Christmas Eve with us um, because there's a lot of places you could be and a lot of things that you could be doing, but you're here. And so that means a lot. My name is Jason. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I see obviously a lot of familiar faces, but I do see some guests with us. And we're especially excited that you're here. So thank you for coming. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to, to get a chance to do that. I'll be hanging out in the hallway after service. But again, just thanks for coming. And um, what I want to do tonight is I want to take a few minutes and try to answer this question. What if it's true? What if it's true? And I have to make a confession that every Christmas, uh, I struggle a little bit to, to come up with a Christmas sermon and you would think, you know, come on, Jason, you're a pastor, Christmas, Easter, like those are the easiest ones. And you're, you're right, it should be. Uh, but the challenge is that I think for so many of us, and I'm including myself in this, is that we've heard the story so much. Uh, for most of us in, uh, I would say, America, but maybe the southeast-ish area, I guess, we know about Christmas before we know about Christianity, and so we are very familiar with the story. We celebrate the story. We kind of mix, you know, the commercial holiday with the spiritual holiday and all these different ways. And so the challenge, I think, is that we can kind of lose the miracle in Christmas, lose the miraculous nature of Christmas, and it can become cute. It can become nostalgic and sentimental, but it's not as miraculous as, as it should be. And so what I want to try to do is just recapture the miraculous a little bit. Um, we're going to retell the story in some ways. But my hope is that we can recapture the miraculous. And to do that, to get started, I want to just read one verse together. And not even a whole verse, just half of a verse. In John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14, the beginning of that verse says this. It says, So the word became human and made his home among us. So the word became human and made his home among us. These 11 words really kind of sum up, it's about as good a synopsis of Christianity as you could come up with. That the word that's talking about Jesus, that Jesus became human and made his home uh, among us. Eugene Peterson in the message, he says, he says this verse this way, he says that God put skin on and moved in the neighborhood. Love that. Love that. And, and what these words are describing, these 11 words are describing what theologians and Christians call the doctrine of incarnation. The doctrine of incarnation. Now, maybe you're thinking, Jason, it's Christmas. We don't need a lot of doctrine. You know, talk about the innkeeper. Uh, talk about the camel. Maybe bring a camel in the back door, you know, and do that. And so I didn't want to disappoint you. So let's do it, guys. I'm just kidding. There's no camel. There's no camel. I'm just kidding. The best reaction of every service so far. That's great. Um, I actually was, the, uh, was in charge of the camel as a kid at my church. But anyway, um, you don't want to talk doctrine, you know, at Christmas, but you got to because what we're celebrating, whether you knew this or not, what we're celebrating is the doctrine of incarnation. 
It, it, it is the absolute foundation to anything and everything that is true about Christianity. It's so vital that if you don't believe this part, it doesn't even really matter what other parts you believe. You got to believe this part, the doctrine of incarnation. So what is incarnation? Well, it's not that complicated. Incarnation is the belief that God put on human flesh in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. That God put on human flesh in the form of a man named Jesus of Nazareth. We could say it this way, kind of a simplified version, is that God became a man so that man could come to God. God became a man so that man could come to God. And this is why I started by asking the question, what if it's true? You say, Jason, of course it's true. I knew that. I mean, I, I knew that. Yeah, God, God, you know, Jesus came. That's what we're celebrating. Mary holding the baby and Jesus coming to the earth. And we sing songs about that. Of course, it's, it's true. But I, I guess I want to challenge that a, a little bit tonight. Are you sure? Are you sure it's true? Are you sure you understand what it means if it is true? What it implies if it's true? That God became a man. Who would do that? Who would do something like that? I mean, the prison guard doesn't take off the uniform and lock himself in the cell with the prisoners. The surgeon doesn't take out his heart and put it in the patient. The judge doesn't take off his robe and trade places with the accused. What do you mean God became, became man? I read, a, I read an interesting story earlier this week about a man named Richard Montanez. Uh, just an amazing story about a guy who, uh, Richard, he dreaded school growing up, spoke broken English, lived in California with 13 other relatives in one house, a one-room house, 14 relatives. So to help his family survive, Richard dropped out of school in the fourth grade. He took odds and end jobs at factories and farms. And years later, 1976 to be exact, a, a friend told him about a job as a janitor at the Frito-Lays uh, manufacturing plant. And paid $4 an hour. It was the most money Richard had ever made in his life. And so he got the job. And he took the job. And, and on his first day, his grandfather called him over and he said, Richard, I want you to make those floors shine and make sure to tell them that a Montanez did it. And that's what he did. He went in, he worked hard. And on his off time, he would study. He even asked some of the salesmen if they would allow uh, them, him to ride along on some of their sales calls. And, and he, he was just wanting to learn and be as good as he could and do the best that he could. Well, a few years later, the Frito-Lay's company began to struggle. Sales began to dip. And so in an attempt to try to inspire the 300,000 employees that work for the company, the owner launched this uh, program called Act Like an Owner. He wanted people to take initiative and take ownership of their actions and of the company. And so when Richard heard this idea of Act Like an Owner, he decided to call the CEO. He had an idea. So, so Richard calls the main headquarters of Frito-Lay. He gets the CEO's secretary and says that he would like to talk to the CEO because he has an idea. 
Took a little while, as you might expect, to get through the secretary. She couldn't understand exactly who he was or why he was calling, but eventually he was able to get through the CEO and he said he had an idea and the CEO was so blown away by his initiative that he said, Richard, get your presentation together because in two weeks I'm going to have you pitch your presentation in front of the board. So Richard goes to the library, checks out all the books on marketing he can find and Works nonstop for two weeks. And two weeks later, he walks into the boardroom. And when he catches his breath, he pulls out of his bag and his pockets a hundred Ziploc baggies with Cheetos that he had taken from the local plant that he had added his own spices to, inspired by Mexican street corn that he had eaten growing up with his family. He had even hand-drawn logos on each of the bags and he passed them out to the people there and they tasted them. And the story goes that the CEO, after tasting them, looked at Richard and says, you can put the mop away, you're coming with us. And, and Richard's hunch was right because the, um, the uh, flaming hot Cheetos became one of the most successful launches in Frito-Lay history became a viral sensation and made Richard a vice president and made him about $20 million too. And here's why I tell you that story, because we love stories like that. That's the American dream. A nobody from nowhere, you know, pulls himself up by his bootstraps, works hard, climbs the ladder and does it, becomes, becomes successful and makes money. It's the American dream. We love it. Well, the Christmas story is the exact opposite of the American dream. It's a story about somebody from somewhere who decided to be a nobody in the middle of nowhere. See, the American dream is, is a rags to riches story, but the Christmas story is a riches to rags story. It's a story about a CEO who decided to be a $4 an hour janitor. That is the Christmas story. Who would do something like that? Why would they do something like that? Why would God become a human? Why, why would he humiliate and humble himself to the point of becoming like you and me? You know you. If you were God... Would you want to trade places with you? Probably not. So why would God do something like that? Did he do it because he knew we needed more moral advice and teaching? Some people believe that. Some people say, you know, I don't know about the whole God-Jesus thing, but he was a good teacher. And if we just do some of the things that he said, the world would be a better place. Is that why he did it? Did he do it for miracles, you know, to impress people and to show off and... Did he do it so we could have a Bible and, you know, we could read like bedtime stories to our kids? Is, is that why he did it? I want to read a, a quote to your passage to you from uh, the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He was kind of talking about this question. Why? Why would God do this? What, in, in a broader sense, he was trying to answer kind of what makes Christianity different. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if Christianity only means one more bit of good advice, then Christianity is of no importance. There's been no lack of good advice for the last 4,000 years. A bit more makes no difference. 
But as soon as you look at any real Christian writings, you find that they are talking about something quite different from this popular religion. They say that Christ is the Son of God, whatever that means. They say that those who give him their confidence can also become sons of God, whatever that means. They say that his death saved us from our sins, whatever that means. There's no good complaining that these statements are difficult. Christianity claims to be telling us about another world, about something behind the world we can touch and hear and see. And you may think the claim false, but if it were true, what it tells us would be bound to be difficult. It's that phrase, if it were true. I think for most of us in the room, we kind of have just taken it for granted that it's true. We've celebrated it our whole lives. But are you sure? Are you sure it's true? Are you crazy enough to believe that God would set aside being God in some form to be like you and me? This is what separates Christianity from every other major religion. Is that in every other major religion, some human figures out a way to accomplish deity. In some way or another, through moral behavior or uh, supernatural intervention, or in some way, some human figures out a way to become a god and then instructs everyone else in some spiritual realm. But Christianity is the only major religion where a god became a man. So that men and women, humanity, could come to God. And what I'm telling you, and what we are reading, and what you are hearing, is either the most insane, stupid, crazy, ludicrous thing that you have ever heard, only believed by morons, or it's the greatest news in the history of the world. But it's got to be one or the other. It can't be nothing. You can either reject it as stupidity or you can receive it as salvation, but you can't do nothing. As a pastor, I, I meet people who at times are very hostile towards the Christian faith. You know, sometimes they have questions, sometimes they don't, they just have accusations, but they are very offended by the message of Christianity. But I'll be honest with you and tell you that it doesn't really bother me that they are offended by the message of Christianity. That just lets me know they are understanding it. It's the lifelong Christians that are neither passionate nor offended that are that bother me more because I don't know that you get the implications of God deciding to become a man. So what if it's true? What if it's true? What if this doctrine of incarnation, what if God really did put skin on and move into the neighborhood? What if God really did set aside heaven to come to you and to me to be like you and me? Well, if it's true, it means at least two things. It means a lot more than two things, I would think, but it definitely means at least two things. The first thing it means, if it's true, is that God became visible. God became visible. If God really did become a man so that man could come to God, it means that God became visible. For the first time in history, you could see God. 
That verse we read in John 1.14, it says that uh, God, uh, the, you know, the word became human. And at the end of the verse, it says, and we have seen the glory, the glory of his one and only son. What does that mean? Well, if you go back into the Old Testament, you see all about the glory of God. I grew up at churches where they, they called it glory. Anybody go, 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 anybody grow up in a glory church? Anybody? Anybody? Some of y'all are missing out, but. But, you know, it became kind of like a mascot at those churches, you know. The glory of God was talked about in, in, you know, like a a sugar high or something. But you read the Bible and the glory of God is incredibly intimidating and at times violent. And it would shake mountains. And when the glory of God would fill a room, people would fall to their face. It would make people's face shine. And the glory of God would cause armies to win battles. And at one point, Moses said to God, said, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. In essence, Moses was saying to God, I want to see you. We keep talking. You keep showing up as fog in a tabernacle. You keep speaking through a mountain. I I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Exodus 33, right before the Ten Commandments. And God says to Moses something really interesting. He says, you can't see my glory or you'd die. You would die. You can't see my glory. You died too strong. So what I'll do, Moses, God says, is I'm going to hide you behind a rock, and then I'm going to pass by. And after I pass by, I'll let you come out and see the remnants of where I was. But that's all you can handle. So, so Moses wanted to see God's glory. God says, you can't see my glory or you would die. But then John says that God became human and we have seen his glory. What does that mean? It means that for the first time in history, when Mary was holding the baby Jesus, she was holding in her arms the same glory that God told Moses it'd kill you if you saw it. That in the form of Jesus, God himself became visible. He's God with skin on. The Holy Spirit is God in spirit form. Jesus is God in human man form. The glory of God is in Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's like, you look to Jesus. And I've said this before, but it's worth repeating that so often we can read the Bible and we can say, man, I wish I knew God like they knew God. But did you know that the people in the Old Testament wish they could know God the way you know God? You read the things that Moses did and you think, man, I wish I could do the things Moses did. Moses would trade places with you in a second. Because you've got Jesus. You've got God walking the earth as a man, teaching, instructing, saving. So God became visible. God decided to, to leave. And, and you know, so, so often people say, I believe in God. I believe in God. Got no problem with God. God's out there. God can be a lot of things. You know, the last research I read says that Anywhere from 82 to 88% of people believe in the traditional form of God that we say. It doesn't mean that everybody else doesn't believe in God. They just believe in a different variation of God. But almost 90% of civilization believes in a God. God's no problem. But Jesus, Jesus is God with skin on. Jesus came and when Jesus came, God was no longer just out there somewhere. He was on the earth, teaching, leading, living, modeling a life for us. 
And so in Jesus, God became accessible to you and me, but it gets better than that because if it's true, not only did God become visible, but it also means that salvation is possible. Salvation is possible. That in Jesus, we now have a way to be saved. I was playing golf recently with a guy and we were riding in the same golf cart and he just began to confess all sorts of terrible things that he had done, which happens more often than you would think. I don't, I, people here, I'm a pastor and it's just like, well, I don't know if they grew up Catholic and they think they need to confess. I don't know what it is, but airplanes and golf courses and, you know, it's just like, what do you do? It's like, uh, I'm a spiritual advisor. I don't even want to say pastor because once I do, it's like, hey, when I, when I was eight years old, I stabbed a man. It's like, I don't know. Um, so, um, but we're sitting in the golf cart and he's confessing all this stuff to me. And uh, later on in the round, he, he, uh, he hit a good shot, but it took a bad bounce and he lost the golf ball. And kind of joking, he said to me, he said, well, I guess God's getting back at me for all that stuff I told you about. And I was like, no, he's not. He's like, oh, you don't, believe, you don't believe God does that kind of stuff? I was like, no, 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 God definitely gets even. But two things. Number one, if God was getting even, it would cost way more than a golf ball, okay? <laughs> like, you're not even now because you lost the golf ball and made a bogey, all right? But second of all, God does get even. He just doesn't get even with you. God got even with Jesus. So all those things you just told me about and the things you didn't tell me and the things that you will do, God's going to get even. He got even with Jesus. Jesus took it for you. You don't get it. Jesus got it. And he was like, oh. He was just kind of joking around. Like I accidentally preached a sermon to him, you know. But it's true. Maybe you think that. Maybe you've wrestled with those kind of thoughts. God's getting even with me. That's why I can't do anything with my life. That's why my car always breaks down. That's why we got cancer. That's why my marriage failed. That's all because God's getting even with me. Listen, God's not getting even with you. God got even with Jesus. Jesus didn't deserve it. You did, but Jesus took it. And salvation became possible. And the reason Christmas is such good news is because God became a man so that man could come to God. And he had to be a man or it wouldn't have counted. And he had to be God or it wouldn't have been enough. But Jesus shows up in the exact right amount, perfect amount of human and divine. And he offered the sacrifice that would take away the sin of the people, you and me. You and me. What if that's true? What if it's really true that God put skin on, became a human and died so that you and I would not have to be repaid for the sin that we have committed and continue to commit. What do we do with this? I'm challenging you to decide. Is it true? Do you really believe that God became a human in the form of a single Jewish man about 2,000 years ago? He really did live on this earth He really did walk on the soil of this earth. And he really is and was God in the flesh. And the reason that he came 
was because you needed a savior. Humanity needed a savior. And so, yeah, he comes as a baby. And I know, you know, Will Ferrell, Ricky Bobby made it cute a long time ago to pray to little baby Jesus. And I get all that. But listen, he he was not just a baby. He was God. He's not just a cute baby in a manger. He's a savior. You believe that. You believe that's true. See, if, if it's true, if it's true that God really did come as a man, as a human being, if that's true, then the bad news is you're worse off than you thought. Your situation was so bad that the only resolution was God having to leave heaven to come fix it for you. You were so hopeless that nothing short of God himself coming here could fix it. Merry Christmas. But that is the, that is the message of Christmas. He didn't come because he wanted to hang out in a, in a barn. He came because there was no other way. So the bad news is you are worse off than you thought, but the good news is you are more loved than you ever believed. That while you were hopeless, you were not worthless. That God thought you to be worth it. Maybe as you hear me say that, you would say, you know, I mean, you're kind of being dramatic, Jay, a little bit. Like, I mean, I got some problems, but I mean, like, I'm not... I'm not so bad that I needed God to come down here and like make it right. You know, like I've got some struggles, but I'm not, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Because I know that you know you, and I know you know your thoughts, and I know what you think when you look in the mirror. And I know the secrets that you keep. I don't know the secrets you keep, but I know you keep secrets. And while you may present to everyone else that you don't think you need that much grace, here's what I know about you, because I know it's true about me, that I know that every attempt I've ever made to get me right is never enough. It's never enough. And while I present my, the version of myself to everyone that allows them to love me, I know that the real version of me is not near as lovable as the public version of me. But God knows that version. And so while you may act as if or intellectually wrestle with whether or not sin and Needing a savior is all that. Here's what I know. I believe in your heart of hearts that you know how bad you really are. And the good news is that Jesus knows it too. And he knew it. And the Bible says that at the worst version of you, while you were still a sinner, you and I, not because we made a deal with God that said, if you'll come, then I'll follow you. No, no promise on the back end. God just said, I'm sending Jesus because there's no other solution. If it's true, the bad news is that it means your sin cost Jesus his life. But the good news is that you can have a relationship with God if you want one. If it's true, the bad news is that your man-made attempts, your moral list of rules and ethics that you think make you a good person aren't going to work. It won't be enough. But, but the good news is that 
your hope and my hope don't have to be in ourselves anymore or a religion or a behavior. Our hope is in a real person. Not some God out there. Our hope is in a real person. He had a name and and he had skin and he was around six feet tall and maybe 175 pounds and he's a real person. And his name is Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. We follow Jesus. We do what Jesus says. We live the way Jesus wants us to live. We take credit for what Jesus did. Our hope is in him. I want to end by reading one more quote to you. um, And then... Andrea is going to come. I want to pray for us, and Andrea is going to come, and we're going to sing some Christmas songs together. But I read this quote earlier this week, and I thought it was just the perfect way to, to kind of wrap up what it is we've been talking about tonight. And it was by Lori Craig, and, and here's what she said. She said, is it possible that there is an all-knowing, all-righteous lover, judge, Savior that didn't just throw the Bible down to us, but came and lived it out? Is it possible that there is someone who exists that knows more than I do? Before we finish reading that, I think it's important to answer that question. Is it possible? Is it possible that God didn't just give you a list of religious rules, but that he sent someone to live those rules out. Is it possible that there's someone who knows better than you? If so, she says, I want to surrender my life to him. What if it's true? What if it's true that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus who was with God in heaven from the beginning of time, from the foundations of the earth. And yet Jesus came as a baby, but before that he came as a fetus. And he loved you so much that God sent fetus Jesus in the belly of a 15-ish year old teenage girl that is either the dumbest thing that you have ever heard or it's the greatest thing you've ever heard and it requires a response from you and me that if it is true and if you would do something like that God then maybe you are a God worth surrendering my life to after all Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that when we did not have a way to to know you, you made a way. Thank you, God, that while we were in our sin, hopeless, we were not worthless, God. It was worth it to you to send Jesus as a man to our neighborhood so that we could come to you, so that we could have a Savior.
so that we could surrender our life and stop trying to live for ourselves and do it our way, but we could do it your way. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.